So for thousands of years, God in the Old Testament had promised the people of Israel that he would send the Messiah, who would be the savior, not just of Israel, but people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And God said in the Old Testament that the Messiah would do two things. One, he will pay for the sins of all those who trust him so they can be forgiven and reconciled to God and have the joy of knowing him forever. Amazing. Then second, the Messiah will also remove all political oppression and injustice from the world. Completely. Amazing things that the Messiah was said to do when he comes, according to the Old Testament. Now, when the Messiah came 2,000 years ago, Israel was under terrible political oppression from the Romans. And so most of Israel, most of the people of Israel, as well as Jesus' disciples, focused more on Jesus, the Messiah, freeing them from political oppression than from dying on the cross to forgive them for their sins. They kind of ignored that latter part and focused just on the, on the freedom from political oppression. But see, this created a problem. The Messiah, Jesus, would free the world from all political oppression and injustice at the end of history, at Jesus' second coming. But first, at the first coming, Jesus needed to die on the cross to pay for the sins of all those who trust him so they can be forgiven, reconciled to God, have the joy of knowing God, and spread that joy, take that good news to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus needed to help his disciples understand this. This was part of the challenge that Jesus faced because his disciples were focused on the political oppression side of things. So Jesus needs to help his disciples understand and in Luke's gospel, he starts that instruction of them on that topic in the passage we looked at last week. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Here's what Jesus said. The Son of Man, that's how he describes himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, when the disciples heard this, they were horrified. Remember, they'd left everything to follow Jesus, and they were looking forward to seeing Jesus' popularity grow and grow and grow with more healings and more miracles, and, and finally seeing Rome overthrown and seeing peace and freedom forever. That's what they were looking forward to. But now Jesus tells them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. Now this would have shocked them. And we know that because in Matthew's Gospel, he tells us how the disciples responded to these very words. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, listen to what Matthew writes. As they, Jesus and the disciples, were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Also, Mark's Gospel tells us how Peter responded to these exact same words. Mark 8, 
31 through 32. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now imagine that scene. Here's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, fully God, God in the flesh. And Peter takes him aside and says, Jesus, what are you talking about? Stop talking that way. How can you say that? That's not going to happen. Stop this. And the disciples would have struggled even more as Jesus went on, as we saw last week, right after he talks about his being rejected and dying, he goes on to explain what it means for them to follow him. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Die to all those things you used to trust to satisfy you. You must be willing to lose your life for my sake. That is, devote yourself completely to gaining Jesus, even if that means physical death. So at this point in Luke's Gospel, the disciples are struggling to believe Jesus, to trust what Jesus is saying to them. And it's not just the disciples who struggle with trusting Jesus, is it? We all do from time to time. We shouldn't, but we do. We struggle to really trust what Jesus is saying. For example, we're bombarded with temptations uh, towards sexual sin, wrong sexual thoughts. And yet Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. That is, happy. Happy are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amazing statement. But we can struggle to trust that sometimes. Another example, we see economic slowdown. We see recession taking place. And we can struggle to trust Jesus' promise in Matthew 6.33, where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Food, shelter, clothing is what's described in the context. All these things will be added to you. We can struggle to trust that promise. Or we see the coronavirus numbers going up in our home countries and concerned about our loved ones. Or we hear about redundancies, people losing their jobs. And we can struggle to trust what Jesus says in John 16, 33. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Be of good courage. Be strong. Take heart. I've overcome the world. So if you think about it, we've all had times this past week when we have struggled to trust what Jesus says. And of course, Jesus' words are found in the Gospels. They're also in the rest of the New Testament and what his apostles wrote. And because Jesus is God and God gave us the Old Testament, the Old Testament also is from Jesus. So we can talk about trusting Jesus' words in terms of trusting the whole Scripture. So here's the question. What should we do? at those times when we struggle to trust what Jesus is saying in his word. So let's open to Luke chapter 9. Verses 28 through 36 are about Jesus' transfiguration, very famous event. So let's ask, what is the point? Why does Jesus get transfigured? What, what is the point of his transfiguration? Start with verse 8. Now about eight days after these sayings, 
he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So notice that Jesus' transfiguration takes place about eight days after these sayings, after Jesus had taught about the fact that he was going to suffer and die and rise again, about the fact that following him means taking up your cross daily, and about the fact that there are people there who would not die until they saw the kingdom of God, until they saw the kingdom. Okay? So it's clear that what's being connected here by Luke, the transfiguration, has something to do with Jesus' teachings in those previous verses. It involves the fact that he's going to die again, Jesus is. It involves what it means to follow Jesus, and it also shows that Peter, James, and John see the kingdom here. That's part of what, what's going on here. So, notice also then that Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him. He wanted them to see his transfiguration. So they went up on the mountain. Jesus started to pray, and keep reading, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Okay, now up to this point, Jesus' glory as God had been hidden by his humanity. But at this point, God chooses to have Jesus' glory as God blaze forth. Jesus shines with the glory that he has as God, the glory of his majesty, the glory of his love, the glory of his wisdom and power and justice and tenderness. His glory shines forth brighter than the sun, blazing forth with glory. But that's not all. Verse 30. And behold, two men were talking to him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his, Jesus' glory and the two men who stood with him. Now, Moses and Elijah are key Old Testament figures probably representing the, the Law and the Prophets, the whole Old Testament. And they're talking with Jesus. But notice what they are talking about. This is crucial. They're talking about his departure, which he will accomplish in Jerusalem. So they're talking about the same thing that Jesus had just been talking to the disciples about eight days before, about his arrest, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. Now, when Peter, John, and James first got to the mountaintop, we read that they were sleepy, but now, fully awake. Jesus ablaze with glory. Moses and Elijah, they're talking. And so they see Jesus shining in his very glory as God, and they hear Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about Jesus' coming death, resurrection, and ascension. So just imagine that you were Peter, or James, or John. For eight days, you've been struggling with what Jesus said about dying. What's he talking about? How can he, how can he mean that? But look now at what God does to help them in their struggle. I, I love the mercy of God in how he helps us when we struggle to trust what he says in his word. He allows them to see, he intends for them to see Jesus' transfiguration. 
So they see Jesus shining with the very glory of God. And he brings Moses and Elijah there to that mountaintop so the disciples can hear them agreeing with Jesus about his death and his resurrection. Now this can help you, all those of us, maybe some of you are struggling like right now to trust Jesus with one of his promises, one of his commands, trusting something in the word of God. This can help us right now because in this passage, see, look, see the, the glory of Jesus God's own glory, because Jesus is God, shining forth brighter than the sun. See Jesus shining in his glory. And let that just start to strengthen your faith. And then see Moses and Elijah pointing to and affirming everything that Jesus said. The whole Old Testament pointing ahead to Jesus and affirming, confirming what Jesus said Ponder that and let that strengthen your faith in Jesus and the Word of God. But there's more. Keep reading in verse 33. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. So Peter suggests that they make three tents. But the next verse shows that, that God does not think this is a good idea. Read verse 34 and remember that in the Bible, God often appears in a cloud. That's what's happening here. Verse 34. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Moses and Elijah gone. And they kept silent. Peter, James, and John kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Okay, Peter's mistake was to make Moses and Elijah and Jesus all seem equal. But that was not at all God's point here. It was Jesus who was transfigured, not Moses and Elijah. And notice that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory, verse 31. Jesus, however, is shining with his glory, verse 32. So God's point is not just to show that Moses and Elijah agree with Jesus. That's part of his point but also to show that Jesus is superior to Moses and Elijah. After all, Moses and Elijah are just men. Jesus is God in the flesh. And to make this crystal clear, God speaks out of the cloud and tells Peter, James, and John, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Who is God talking to here? Peter? James and John. That's who he's talking to here. God had Jesus bring Peter, James, and John up onto the mountaintop to see Jesus shining with the very glory of God, to see Moses and Elijah agreeing with what Jesus was teaching, and then to hear God the Father say, just imagine that God the Father is there in the cloud and he's speaking to you. You're Peter or you're James or you're John. And he says, listen, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
There you are, Peter, James, John, been struggling. What about Jesus dying? He's saying he's going to die. What about this being betrayed and arrested? What about taking up our crosses daily and follow him? Oh, I'm struggling with this. And God says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Oh, do you feel the power of that? And again, look at God's mercy and tenderness in helping the disciples to trust Jesus here. And so let this strengthen you. If you are struggling to trust what Jesus says, if you're struggling, then God is standing before you in this passage and he is saying directly to you this morning, this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. Oh, listen to him. Beautiful. So that's the point of the transfiguration. It's to help the disciples who are struggling to trust what Jesus has been telling them. It's to help them trust. They see Jesus shining in his glory. They see Moses and Elijah pointing to Jesus and affirming Jesus. And they hear God say, listen, Peter, James, and John, listen to Jesus. Let this strengthen your faith in him as well. But now what about this next section? We move now from the transfiguration to Jesus healing a demonized boy. So what's the point of this healing? Start with verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. So this takes place on the very next day. Luke makes that connection. So this has something to do with the transfiguration. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And he, the ch my child, suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Oh, this is a tragic situation here. This man's only son. And this demon, I mean, imagine, fathers, you, your son, this demon seizes him and, and your son's crying out, Ah, oh, daddy, help me with, with fright. And, and the demon makes him convulse. So he's foaming at the mouth and, and it shatters him. I'm not really sure what that means. And will hardly leave him. This happens most of the time. What a heartbreaking situation. Now, while Jesus was gone with Peter, James, and John, this man had brought his son to the other disciples and begged them to, to heal him. But they could not. Now, that's shocking. Because back in chapter 9, verse 1, verse 1 of this chapter, Jesus gave the disciples power and authority over all evil spirits. So why weren't they able to heal this boy? I think the answer is in verse 41. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Now, who is it that's faithless and twisted? Okay, the previous verse talked about the father who brought his son to Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, and in Mark's gospel, we read that the father was weak in faith. So he was faithless to an extent. And we also read in Mark chap Matthew chapter 17 that the disciples were weak in faith. 
And in Mark 9, we read that the disciples didn't pray. So I think that this description of faithless and twisted applies to the Father, it applies to the disciples, and probably by extension to the whole crowd, but I think it's especially focused here on, on the disciples. Then Jesus asked for the man's son to be brought to him. Verse 42, while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground again and convulsed him again. But Jesus, everything changes here, rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Oh, this is a beautiful picture of Jesus' authority and power and tender compassion. Look at how the people respond, verse 43, and all were astonished at the mercy of God. So just imagine that you were there in the crowd, seeing this boy. Everybody knew this poor boy. He would be thrown to the ground. He would start to convulse. He'd be foaming at the mouth. This happens most of the time. What an utterly tragic story. But now this boy is suddenly freed. The demon is gone. And Jesus restores this boy to his father. Oh, the joy of picturing that. I love it. Amazing. And so everyone is astonished at the majesty of God displayed in Jesus' love, compassion, power, and authority. And this gives us, and the disciples, another reason to trust Jesus, by the way. But look at what Jesus does next. Verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man, Jesus, I, me, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, why doesn't Jesus talk about the amazing healing that just took place? You might have think Jesus would have taken the disciples aside and said, now men, that's how you cast out demons. Or, brothers, next time, pray, and your faith will be strengthened so that you can cast out these demons. But that's not what Jesus does. He moves right past the miracle and urges them to listen carefully to what he has said about his upcoming arrest in Jerusalem. Read verse 44 again. Let these words sink into your ears, men. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, can you see a theme here in, in Luke chapter 9? In last week's passage, verse 22, Jesus said he would suffer and be killed and rise from the dead. Then during the transfiguration, in verse 31, Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about the same thing, what he would do in Jerusalem. And now here, after an amazing miracle of healing takes place, he directs his disciples' attention back to the exact same theme. He's going to be delivered into the hands of men. So, what is the point of this miracle? Surely, part of the point is, once again, to show us Jesus' tender compassion and love and power and authority. But also, don't miss this additional point here. It's that Jesus tells his disciples, when you struggle to trust my words, 
let them sink into your ears. What does that mean? Let these words sink into your ears. I think it means think about these words. Ponder these words. Pray over these words. Mull these words over. Preach these words to yourself. Let these words sink into your ears. Now, why? I think it's because of what Paul says in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if we will let Jesus' words, let the word of God sink into our ears. Don't just hear it and then say, oh, I don't know. But ponder it. Let it sink deeper, 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 deeper. The Holy Spirit will come and strengthen, 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 strengthen our faith so we trust his words. Now, sadly, that's not what the disciples did. Verse 45. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. This saying was concealed from them. By whom? Some commentators say it's by God. And that's, that's possible, but it, just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think that God would have just said to them, this is my chosen one, listen to him and then conceal from the disciples what Jesus would say to them. That doesn't seem to fit. So I don't think this is God. I think this is their sin and their unbelief. And, and one reason I think that is because of the last line in that verse. That's why they were afraid to ask Jesus what this saying might mean. That's just a clear picture of unbelief. They were afraid he might say, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. Yes, you need to take up your cross daily, you need to lose your life to gain me forever. They were afraid he might be talking that way still, so they didn't want to ask him. Better not to know, which shows unbelief here. Now, don't worry. Yes, the disciples are involved in unbelief here, but later in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see these disciples fully confident in what Jesus is saying here. And after the day of Pentecost, they are boldly proclaiming Jesus' life and death and resurrection. They're planting churches. They're preaching the gospel. They are fully persuaded. So be, don't, be, just don't be worried at this point. But now let's apply this to us. Let's apply this passage to us. What should we do? Based on this passage, what should we do at those times when we struggle to trust Jesus' words? What should we do? And I think there's four steps that I would recommend to you if you're struggling to trust Jesus' words. I mean, maybe you're struggling with this whole issue of sexual temptation where Jesus says, Blessed, happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God now and forever. Amazing promise. But you're struggling to trust that. Or maybe, again, you're grappling with slowdown in an economy and you're really worried about finances. Seek first the kingdom of God. All you need will be added to you, Matthew 6, 33. Or maybe you're just worried about some other things. I mean, things are hard now. Lots of fears, lots of concerns. And yet Jesus does say, in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. Be strong. I've overcome the world. So we can struggle with not trusting what Jesus says. And when we do struggle, let me encourage you to take these four steps. First of all, 
see Jesus' glory. Just imagine that you are there at the transfiguration. Maybe open up to Luke chapter 9 when you find yourself struggling to trust Jesus' words. And understand that God here is allowing Jesus' full glory as God to blaze forth from him brighter than the sun. Oh, so see Jesus' glory. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is saying these things in the Scriptures. Behind the rest of the New Testament is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Behind the Old Testament is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See his glory. Let that strengthen your faith. Second, see Moses and Elijah pointing to and confirming Jesus. The entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, points to Jesus. So let that strengthen your faith in trusting Jesus and his words. Then third, hear God's call to listen to Jesus. Imagine that you're Peter or James or John and you hear God speaking to you out of the cloud. Just imagine that you're there. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Let God just speak that to you out of this passage and let that strengthen your faith. And then fourth, let Jesus' words sink into your ears. Okay, that means think about them. Think about them some more. Meditate upon them. Pray over them. Preach them to yourself. Pray over them some more. Think about them some more. Let Jesus' words, let the Word of God sink into your ears. It's not enough just to hear it. Yeah, I know that. No, 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 no. Let it sink into your ears. Why? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I was worried about future finances. I have no good reason to worry. We are very well provided for here at Grace Church. But I can always come up with scenarios that make me worry about finances, right? It's true for me anyway. So I was worried about future finances. And I realized I'm not trusting Jesus' promise in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will, will, will be added to, to you. So I was pacing back and forth in my office, right, right over there and preaching these words to myself. And just, I, I'm, I wanna let Jesus' words sink deep into my ears. So I'm, I'm re reciting it to myself. I'm praying over it. I'm preaching this to myself. I'm asking God to strengthen my faith. I'm thinking about Jesus, the Son of God, shining with glory, said these words. And all of a sudden, it's like a light went on in my heart. I, I knew, I, I, by, the, by the Holy Spirit's work, faith comes from hearing, I knew. Jesus Christ was standing before me saying, you seek first the kingdom and my righteousness and everything you need will be provided for you. I knew it. I felt it. My faith was strengthened. So let me encourage you. Some of you right now are struggling to trust Jesus. See Jesus' glory. See Moses and Elijah pointing to Jesus. Hear God's call where he says, listen to him. This is my son. And then let Jesus' words sink into your ears. Take time to read them, think about them, pray over them, preach them to yourself, ask God to strengthen your faith through them, and he will come and strengthen your faith so that you will know 
This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. These words are true. I'm going to trust them. Let's pray together. What an amazing passage, Father. And I praise you for your mercy and your goodness to the disciples to so bring them encouragement during this time when they are struggling. And you continue to do that through the Gospels and and you help them. But Lord, I praise you that this is your heart and that when we struggle to trust what your word says, when we struggle to trust what Jesus says, you will help us. So I pray, Lord, for those, first of all, here listening, who have never put their trust in Jesus Christ, never repented of their sins and trusted Jesus to be their Savior and their Lord and their treasure. Lord, I pray that this passage, that that they would have these words sink deep into their ears so that they would own up to the reality of Jesus Christ, trust Jesus Christ, and be saved and forgiven of their sins and brought into relationship with you today. And Lord, for those of us who are trusting Christ but struggling to trust one of the promises or one of the commands, I pray, Lord God, that right now you would meet us, strengthen our faith, show us Jesus' glory afresh, help us to see Moses and Elijah affirming, confirming, pointing to Jesus, help us to hear you calling us to listen to him, and help us to take Jesus' words and to let them sink deeply into our ears. Even right now, Lord, start to strengthen faith, Right now, start to bring encouragement. Right now, start to fill us with your spirit and trust in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.